good singing today. Good job, choir. And uh, welcome to HBF. It is great to see you this morning. And uh, please be turning your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. And if you don't have a Bible, please grab one from the seat rack in front of you. And you may be turning to page 1,632. My name is Brian, by the way. I'm pastor here at Heartland. And uh, we just uh, want to welcome you, especially if you're online. Jeremy did a good job of reminding those that are joining us. If you're just jumping in online, you can text uh, HBF guests to 80, or 94,000. And... Uh, uh, or not, yeah, 90, that's right, Nine, yeah, 94,000, 94,000, and if you would like, uh, like, you can let us know that you're here, um, and you can text, and we got this choice gift um, that we will send you, and so, and even if you're a guest here, if you want a choice gift, go to the connections counter, in addition to the Bible, in addition, in addition to the candy, in addition to the Bible, oh, there's more, and uh, now there's no better gift than Jesus, but we have mugs with other things in them, so uh, that's at the Connections counter. If you're a first-time guest, we'd love to get that to you. If you are a guest online, though, text HBF guest to 94000, and we'll get you connected and directed, and a mug may be awaiting you. All right, so James did a great job of summarizing the uh, the conference. He even hit the key points of the speakers. That was really good, James. Um, and I was just thinking this morning, I was actually meditating on what Arion said about there's only two things. Remember, what were the two things that multiply um, if you were here Wednesday night, the two things that multiply, that really struck me. Two things Jesus multiplied was the fish and the Bible, the Word of God. And uh, I thought, man, that was that was a powerful point. That was something I will never forget. Um, and that's the things that we should be involved in, the souls of men and the Word of God. And that's what we're about here at HBF. And we had an incredible week um, together. And I can't say enough about y'all and um, our sister churches and the people from our community that showed up this last week to help us assemble, um, you know, 3,266 Spanish Bibles, 1,020 English Bibles, uh, 50 of those go to PTSD, the others um, will be uh, used in Jamaica, over 1,000 going to Jamaica, so that's excellent. Um, 50,000 tracks that we're prepping for Oaxaca, you can still get in on that, I think there's still some folding work to do. And I'm always mindful, and I've said this during the conference, uh, Psalm 68, verse 11. Every time we hold one of these conferences, that passage says, The Lord gave the word, and great was the company of those that published it. And we had a great company. I concluded Wednesday night by talking about that and how we had so many people come over, right? It's like having company over. We had so many people coming over, a great company, to assemble God's word. And, and as James said, if you missed it, you did miss it. I mean, that was an incredible week. Uh, but it's not too late. It's not too late to get involved. Last year, uh, after our Bible conference, we bound. How many remember? How many binds did we make after Bible conference? Anybody remember? Oh man, you guys are tired. Twelve thousand binds. So after Bible conference, I threw a T-shirt out. Someone had that number the other day. So uh, so after Bible conference last year, we had twelve thousand more binds uh, after the conference. So, uh, and so this year we have more binds coming. When we say binds, I'm talking about binds on the back of a Bible. And that's kind of how we measure that. And so, uh, we have more coming this year. We're going to be working with uh, pastor, uh, Jay Shug in Huntsville. Um, and, uh, I think it's community fellowship Baptist church. Jay Shug saw me get ordained and sent out. I never met the man until I was at a certainty conference. He's like, I saw you get ordained and sent. And then he now is a church planner in Huntsville, Alabama. And we both uh, support uh, a missionary named Dan Jalowick in Africa. And uh, I believe uh, Jeremy Bonison's praying. He has a team for the Jalowicks. And and so uh, Jay's t- team's going to come up and we're going to assemble some more Chichewa 
out here in the armory here as soon as we get them uh, all situated. I think they may have came in on this last load, so uh, that'll be good. And uh, it's exciting just to continue the, the process of assembling the Bible, and it's exciting to celebrate the gospel, getting where it needs to go on time. And so there's more work to do. Uh, we're going to have more projects to do, and so uh, continue to pray, continue to pay, right, support that, and continue to be a part of that. And so, uh, man, I also know when we have a conference like that, it's like, oh my gosh, I am tired, right? Everybody's a little tired and weary. So just sit back and relax. I am going to ask you to stand in just a moment, but uh, sit back and relax for a few minutes, and, uh, and we're going to get in the Word this morning. Um, it's been a few weeks since we've been in First John chapter 3, but uh, we've been hovering over this particular passage for several weeks for a reason, and it's not because of chapter 3 as much as what chapter 2 says. So if you would, in your Bible, look at 1 John chapter uh, chapter 2 and verse 28. Uh, as uh, John was concluding chapter 2, he said this in verse 28, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. And so John wrote this to the, to the saints to let us know and remind us that we have an appearing before the Lord, and we need to be ready, and we want to be confident when that appearing comes. So what's he do? I'm glad you asked. So the next thing he does is he busts into chapter 3 and starts talking to us about what it is to be a son. Now, we've been talking about the love of the Father, but in particular, how his love transforms us, and uh, it, trans- it deals with our relationship with him. For uh, many weeks ago, I talked about daddy issues. Oh, thank you. That's, the, that's what I need. That's my cheat sheet. I don't have it in my notes. So that we, many weeks ago, we dealt with the, how the daddy issues get taken care of in verses 1 and 2, don't they? So all of our daddy issues are handled because we have a father in heaven, and uh, our relationship with the father is very well established. And then we also have, and we've already looked at this, our relationship uh, to the world or with the world is is also outlined in that because we're new creatures in Christ um, uh, and we have this great love that the Father hath bestowed upon us, the world doesn't know us because it didn't know him. So now we understand, oh, that's why I'm different from the world because, well, I got a relationship with my Father in heaven and now I'm different. And then what we've been kind of dwelling on, and this is the second week I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to address this, is our relationship to sin, particularly the positional and the practical holiness. Uh, and so I, I took some time. Now, why am I kind of meditating on this? Well, because I know what Colossians 3 says, and that's the time if our, on, our, on our watches right now. Uh, we need to be setting our affections on things above, not on the things of this earth. We have to have a heavenly mindset, or we won't be any earthly good. Um, and so I've heard it said that you can be so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. I just totally reject that. I, the, the further we're going in time, I'm convinced you must be heavenly minded, or you will be no earthly good. Uh, you have to be setting, we have to be, I have to be, you have to be setting your affection on things above, not on the things of this earth. That's the only way you're going to make it. And so, uh, so uh, that passage in verse 29 is dealing with, at the end of chapter uh, 2, you know, he that, if everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Our birthright really affects our relationship to the Father, the world, sin, and then next week, we're going to jump into the brothers. And this is a theme that keeps circulating uh, through the book of 1 John. So we live in a trans world, right, uh, that will eventually encourage transhumanism. And I'm not trying to push any buttons, but we do. Every, everything is in transition, and everything is, 
in flux, and that's not an accident. Everything is, is trying to be destabilized so people aren't founded on the solid rock of Christ. And so absolute truth, right, this didn't just start yesterday. This started in the, in the, just after the Word of God was published in the 1400s. It only took about 100 years, and philosophers started trying to usurp the authority of God's Word with human philosophies. And so this, this process has been going on now for a couple hundred years, 300 years, uh, and so, or more, probably four now, uh, and so 500 years. And so now we're getting to kind of the apex of this, this trans uh, process where people think they're smarter than God, and eventually it'll lead to transhumanism. Uh, and it's an important thing that we remember our birthright. Say, what's that got to do with the price of tea in Cass County? Well, listen, it's important that you don't lose sight of who you are, right? You're not going to transform. I remember, you know, you got the, the transformers. Cars can turn into robots, and robots can turn into cars. You got, you got people that think that they're you know, one gender and then the next. There's all this, this transition stuff. But at the end of the day, we're not going to be transitioned. We're going to be translated. And so God wants us to be clear. When you accept Christ, you are a new creature in Christ. You're, you're new on the inside, and someday you will be translated. So this, all of this stuff in the world that's all about transhumanism, which is where it's all going, but it's all about transitioning first our minds. Now they're even working on our bodies. The reality is this. It's all just a, a cheap ripoff. It's a cheap Im- imitation of the reality that those who are born again are new creatures in Christ, and we are the sons of God, God and we will, be, we will be translated, right? We will appear before Him, and we don't want to do that in shame. We want to be ready for that appearing. We want to know where we're going. We want to know why we're getting there, and we want to be doing what God wants us to do until then. So the passage is getting ready for us at His appearing, getting us ready, I should say, rather, for His appearing and uh, preparing ourselves today for what God has for us tomorrow. So let's look in our text. I did say I'd ask you to stand. Let's stand in honor of the text. Get your blood pumping one more time before you relax and pass out on me from the long week of making Bibles. But First John chapter 3, verse 1. Let's read through the text down to verse 9. 9, the number of fruit bearing. Verse 1 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. That's that transition, or, or that translation. For we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins. And in him is no sin. And so whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither knoweth him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this passage, and, and uh, Lord, thank you for helping us land the plane, understanding that, that at the end of the day we have a position that we are sinless, yet practically we struggle with that flesh. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And uh, this passage helps us remember who we are in Christ. We are sons of God, and we will be like Him. We are sinless uh, in our position before God. He has already covered our 
sin on the cross uh, 2,000 years ago, if we have trusted him as Lord and Savior, uh, Lord, he has paid the debt. Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Lord, we understand that song and we understand that biblical principle. He is our atonement for sin. And yet, Lord, we need to be holy in a practical sense. And that's what we've been talking about. Lord, so people can see the change. Lord, we can't drum that up. We can't muster that up in ourselves. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to do that in and through us. We need the aid of the Word of God. We need the local New Testament church. Heavenly Father, use this moment in time to help us continue to be transformed to your very image. And Lord, look forward to that day when we're translated and stand before your throne with confidence, knowing we have been who you've saved us to be and done that which you saved us to do. Lord, thank you for overcoming all obstacles. We praise you in, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And so we've been talking about behold the love of the Father and beholding our relationship as sons of God. We talked about that with the world and now dealing with sin, right? And sin's a big nasty thing that we all deal with. So I'm going to fly over. That's why you got a little airplane on your notes. We're going to fly over where we've been. I'm not going to take a lot of time here, so you're going to just have to buckle up and hang on. All the answers are there, and you can go back and listen to the, the last message if you want to get the details. But we talked about beholding our relationship to sin out of 1 John 3, 39, and every man that hath this hope in him purify himself even as he is pure. So we talked about our need to, if we're going to behold a relationship with sin properly, we must understand John's declaration in 1 John 3, 1 through 2 needs explanation. So we took some time um, and we talked about how we have a new ex, uh, expectation of sanctification because we're purified from sin. We talked about how we could uh, describe the knowledge of our, our purity as positional holiness. Uh, let me pause here. Anybody remember, what is positional holiness? What's that? What, what am I talking about there? Yeah, how God sees us in heaven, right? So, because you've got to get that down before you deal with the practical side of things or you'll get really dis disturbed. Uh, understanding positional holiness brings hope uh, to the heart of the Son of God, and we talked about Romans eight twenty eight, how we will be conformed. The promise of predestination is not about God sovereignly predestinating people in the annals of history. It's about that He has He has reserved um, the bride of Christ. Those who have trusted Christ are predestined to be conformed to His image. In Romans chapter eight and verses twenty nine through thirty, so we touched on that. And then uh, in point B, we talked about how uh, to behold our relationship with sin properly, we must understand understand John's declaration in 1 John 3, 1 through 2, as an expectation, right? And so the first thing we deal with is positional holiness, but then there's that practical aspect. There is an expectation by John that those who are sons of God will behave as such. And he says, every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. And we looked at 1 Peter chapter 1, and we saw that, uh, that Peter quotes from Leviticus, and he says, be holy because... I'm holy, right? We're holy because of our, our, our new nature in Christ, right? And so we looked at that and uh, spent some time meditating on that. And then uh, we saw how important it is uh, to make it very personal and practical in regard to sanctification. Then John uh, gives us a clear and concise definition in 1 John 3, 4. And I listed on there that sheet. You guys have seen that with some types. Uh, and so we, we ended up talking about uh, we, we see a bold declaration concerning sin in verse 6. Uh, positionally, we are sin-free, but practically, we battle our flesh daily, right? It's a daily grind, man. And so point six there was we take the practical actions to fellowship with God daily. We don't just, um, you know, blow that off. We have to spend time in the Word of God. If you're not spending time in the Word of God, it will affect your fellowship with God. 
I don't, I mean, you may not like that. That's the facts. It's like if you don't eat food, what will happen? You'll starve, right? If you don't drink water, you'll eventually die. You need to admit, every, every Christian, if you want to have, a, a, you want to be pure as he's pure, well, first of all, you got to drink water, which is the word, and you got to eat bread, which is the word. You got to eat and drink. And it starts there if you want to be healthy. Uh, and then you also need daily fellowship with God's people. There's exercise to be done. There's a reason the church exists, right? We don't just exist to meet your felt needs on Sunday morning, pat you on the back, send you out the door, make you feel better about yourself. That's, that's called psychology, right? That, I don't even know if that's psychology. I don't know what that is. That's Joel Olstein. But at the end of the day, <laughs> we're here to accomplish a mission, right? I mean, we're not just here. I mean, we should, hopefully we feel better. Maybe we don't. Maybe God convicts our hearts and we need to change. You know, it's really not about us. It's about what is, who is God, why has he established us, uh, literally left us on the planet, why has he united us as a church body, and then what does he have for us to do? Now, in this church, I think you're pretty clear on that, right? Make disciples, you know, invest the word of God in the souls of men. We make disciples, the primary thing that we do. We elevate the position of the word of God. It's above his very name. So we assemble the word of God because we understand the power of the written words of God, right? And, and, so, and we also understand there's an assault on that. So we... We are definitely wanting to be faithful to God, the Word of God, the words of God, and the souls of men. So that's, you know, we get that. So that's what we're doing when it comes to all the different ministries that are going on. Uh, and so we praise God for that. And that was the sixth point. So we got to be in the Word of God daily, uh, daily worshiping God, you know, literally just, uh, just coming to His throne and, and exalting Him, fellowship with God's people, uh, and then daily prayer, and also meditation. I kind of ran out of time uh, when we got together. I, I had a lot more to say about all those things. Um, I'm going to just skip over them once again so I can get into the rest of what I want to tell you about this subject. But, but I would just pause right here and say, make sure that you're doing that, right? That's the practical stuff. Uh, if you're just like one of those folks that, uh, you know, you come and listen to me on Sunday or you go listen to whoever, but you're never actually opening up the Bible yourself, and you're not really engaging God in a personal way. You really got to get that fixed because you don't have any other options. Today, is a, you, there's an assault on your mind and your heart through all the media, through the world. I love that verse that James quoted, right? I mean, the judgment's coming, but our judgment needs to happen in our hearts every day. And so that happens when we get in the Word of God. We spend time reading God's Word, praying, and studying. Uh, studying is also important. I was talking with, uh, yeah, it was Butch and Susan the other day about that, and, and uh, she brought in fact, it's important that we study. And I was like, you know, that is such a good point. Because uh, it's a different deal when you study. When you dig into God, what happens when you dig into God's Word? The Bible tells us you find riches, right? And I'm not saying you don't find rich stuff when you're reading it. But when you start to dig, you start to find hidden treasure, right? So there's treasure in the Bible that's hidden for you. I was just visiting with uh, Barry yesterday. We were talking about some stuff he's been digging into. He was not just reading it, but started digging literally talking about wells. And uh, you know what? You start digging and you start studying, and guess what? You start to find hidden treasure, right? There's hidden treasure in this book. And yeah, I got hidden treasure because I dig into the book, but it ain't about me having hidden treasures that I share with you. It's about you getting your own hidden treasure, right? You You dig it out. There's something really awesome about when you dig into the Word of God and God reveals Himself to you or principles, because you're really learning about Him, His character, His mind, you get to know him more intimately, and it's, it's a beautiful thing. And so this, this, these points that I just mentioned about the need to daily be in the Word, to daily be in worship, daily be in, the, in fellowship with God's people, daily be in prayer, daily be in meditation. Um, man, if, you were, if I was a doctor 
And I asked, and I went, and, I, and that's the, I'd ask you those things, and you say, well, my marriage is a wreck, my life's all messed up. Well, I can tell you, these things here, right? If you start doing those, your life's going to be better. It just is. Uh, you know, uh, if you quit drinking beer, uh, uh, you know, quit, uh, I don't know, I shouldn't have gotten on that analogy. But anyway, quit, quit eating too much fat, too much sugar, whatever else, whatever the doctor says when you go to the doctor. Uh, quit doing all the unhealthy stuff. Guess what? And you start doing what he tells you, you're going to start feeling better. That's just how it works. And so God has a, has a way to help us through his word. Okay, so point seven. Now let's get on with this because we're going to go places we haven't trod yet. So I touched on this, but I didn't really dive deep because I was out of time. So practical holiness, and this is uh, just continuing the thought that we've already had, is a daily battle that requires considerable commitment. You're like, well, I know that. Yeah, anyone that's really saved knows that, right? Because uh, you get saved. You know, when you first get saved for like the first 10 minutes, uh, it's like, yes! But it doesn't take long for the devil to just hit you in the face, and you're just like, oh, man, you know? And you're in a struggle. I've been struggling against sin and personal holiness since the, literally the moments I got after I got saved. I mean, it's, there is no discharge. But you know what? I'm still standing. I'm still here. I'm still going forward because God has grace and he has mercy. And so you got to be committed daily to this relationship. And when you are, God gives us grace to, to get through it. So let's look in our Bibles in Genesis. You're going to have to turn here because this is pretty voluminous. Genesis chapter 39, the first book of your Bible, Genesis 39 and verse 10. I want to I just uh, use this example because this is typified by Joseph in the Old Testament. Typified by Joseph in the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 39, 10 through 13. What we want to see is this type uh, that, that God gives us in Joseph. All right, I'm there. So you should be there. If you're using an Oxford, it's page 57. All right, so uh, Genesis chapter 10 and verse, uh, or Genesis 10, sorry. Genesis 39 and verse 10. So you guys, first of all, you guys know the story, Joseph. Uh, you understand, uh, maybe you don't. So let me just quickly tell you, Joseph is, is uh, the son of Jacob. Um, he's not the youngest, Benjamin's the youngest, but he's a younger son of the 12. And he is, uh, he is special. Uh, he's one of two sons. Uh, Joseph or Jacob had several wives, but... Um, he is a special young man to his father. He has a coat of many colors and all of that. His brothers are jealous of him. If you've ever heard the story of uh, Joseph and his, and his uh, coat of many colors, uh, just heard Dolly Parton sing a song about that the other day. And, uh, and so, you know, he had this coat. His brothers uh, were jealous of him. We're going to kill him, but had a moment of reflection and said, oh, let's not kill him. Let's sell him as a slave. So they ended up selling him off as a slave. He goes into Egypt and uh, how kind of them. And uh, as, far as, they're know, as far as they know, out of sight, out of mind, right? And of course, the end of the story is God uses Joseph as a great deliverer, type of Christ for his brethren, the nation of Israel. And to this day, Israel is blind to the fact that they crucified their brother, Jesus, right? They killed Jesus Christ. He was a Jew. He was one of them. Uh, he was favored by the Father. He had prophecies they didn't like to hear. He had statements they didn't like to listen to. But you know what? Uh, they killed him. And, uh, and uh, it will not be till the catching away of the church that many of them actually wake up in tribulation and realize they need a deliverer, and his name is Jesus Christ. So if you're Jewish and you're listening to me, listen to carefully what I said. This, this, not this bud's for you. This passage is for you. I'm telling you, God has a plan, and you need to receive it before it's too late. But anyway, Genesis chapter 39, that's kind of the big overview. Let's pick up the actual historical text. So just for time's sake, I'm going to skip down to verse 10. Uh, Joseph has now been... Um, 
exalted, right? He's been faithful. He's exalted in the house of Potiphar. And he is faced with the daily battle uh, that requires a considerable, a considerable commitment. So let's look in 39.10. It says, And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and, and, uh, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him of the hands of the, of the Ishmaelites. I'm sorry, uh, bought him uh, of the hands of the Ishmaelites, and <clears throat> which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph. I'm sorry, I'm fumbling around with water here. I apologize. And Joseph, and and uh, and the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him and made him overseer over his house, and all he had he put into his hand. So we see here that God is blessing Joseph mightily. But, verse 5, number of death. And it came to pass from time to time that he made him overseer of his house and over all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake and the blessing, uh, blessing of the Lord was upon all that, he ha- all that he had in his house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph ha- Joseph's hand and he knew not um, aught he had. So he, he left everything with him. He didn't even take accounting for it. He just trusted, he trusted Joseph so much he didn't even count what he need, what he had. He's like, just this guy is so trustworthy, I don't even have to worry about it. I mean, whatever I have, it's yours, Joseph. Just bl- multiply it, bless it, do your thing. You're a great, you know, you're a great mutual fund manager. I trust you with all the eggs. You just do what you're going to do, man. And uh, he just keeps giving ROI. I love your ROI, Joseph. Just do it, right? So he's over his house. He's trusting with his family. All that's going on. Verse six, and he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he knew uh, not aught that he had to save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph. And she said, lie with me. And she's not talking about telling fibs. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wadeth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. He's like, ma'am, I hate to tell you this, but your husband trusts me implicitly. I cannot, I can't belie your own husband's trust. I mean, we have a relationship. Ergo, you also have a relationship, lady. You don't need to be, you don't need to be cheating on your husband, all right? Maybe that would appeal to her. So verse 8, but he refused. Um. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master was not... Oh, I already said that. Verse 9. So there is no greater in the house, in this house, than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And it came to pass, as she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or be with her. And I think that's, for many of us, that's a familiar passage. But you understand here that Joseph is dealing with this. It says day by day, day after day after day. And he says, I'm not going to sin against God. So Joseph loved God more than he loved sin. That's what it boiled down to. That doesn't, it doesn't mean he wasn't tempted. I'm sure she was attractive. I don't know, she, whatever. But he was like, look, I'm not going to mess up on God here, and I'm not going to mess up on your husband. So the answer is, no, no, and he meant it. 
Uh, and so he could not bring himself to sin against God. And the officer, uh, or the, I'm sorry, the offer to compromise was there every day, but he would not capitulate. And so there are opportunities uh, to heed temptation daily. But then there are also evil days. And it, it is in the evil day when we pray that, that we stand no matter what the consequences are. Right? So Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 13 says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. And so as a, as a Christian, you know this is going to come, right? There's times when uh, you are faced with temptation. Maybe it's daily. But you know the time is coming where you've got to stand. I mean, I just cannot. I can, I, can, I can say no. I can say no. I can say no. But then there comes the day where it's like, it's coming down. I'm saying no. And that's exactly what it was for Joseph. That was an evil day. If you want an example of an evil day, that's a really good example. Now, daily, Joseph is faced with evil. But on this day, it was exceptionally bad, right? Because she was not going to take no for an answer. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where the world doesn't want to take no for an answer or your flesh doesn't want to take no for an answer. Or the devil doesn't want to take no for an answer. But there are times in our lives where we just have to say, the answer is no. I love God, and that's it. That's it. God first, and everything else is last, uh, is behind that. And so, um, and that's a commitment. Now, where does that commitment start? It starts in your heart. And it's also in the head. These are intentional decisions that are being made. And so some of us have faced evil days. And did we stand or did we capitulate to sin and death? You know, a good soldier never forgets who he's serving. There's a reason in the context, by the way, that that Paul uses when he deals with the evil day. He does it in the context of a soldier. He's talking about being girded up, right? Having the loins of our mind girded up, having our whole armor on. Most of us, many of us have learned about the armor of God since we were little children. And it can almost become kind of trite. You know, I'm praying the whole armor of God. Just it's, It's no joke. When you're in a battle, you better have your armor on, uh, and you better have that shield of faith, which, which quenches all the fiery darts of the, of the wicked. So some of us have faced those evil days. A good soldier never forgets who he's serving, and so we only have liberty. We only have liberty to honor one person, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. If someone's asking us to worship another god, what's the answer? It's no. I just can't worship another god. It's just not going to happen. Eventually, of course, you know what happened in the text. She demanded he lay with her and grabbed his garment, right? Grabbed his, his, his outer vesture. When he refused and ran out, leaving his garment, she accused him of rape, and he was in prison for years. So in Genesis 39, look down there in verse 11, it says, And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was uh, none of the men of the house there. And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. So he's in a situation now where he's all alone. And he's in this situation where he could have gotten away with it. He could have capitulated even against his better judgment just to get her off his back, so to speak. But he didn't. He's like, no, I'm not going to do this. And of course, you see what happens in the text. And it came to pass in verse 13, when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was, and was fled forth, she called unto the men of her house and spake unto them, saying, See, he hath brought in an Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. 
And it came to pass, when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. She's pretty conniving, isn't she? And she, and she laid up his garment by her until his Lord came home. It's interesting to note that we have the record of what went, what went on here, and nobody else did. You know who saw what was going on? God. Bingo. God knew what was going on. He saw what was going on. And now for all of eternity, we got the record of what went on. She thought she was doing that thing in private. She thought it was all hidden. It was all secret. Nobody's going to know the truth but me. I got news for you. God always knows the truth. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, and he's beholding the good and the evil. You cannot get around God. He knows what's going on, and he'll take care of his kids. And so after she did this, it came to pass when her masters heard her words of his wife, which she spake unto him, in verse 19, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me, that his wrath was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, a place where the king's prisoners were and bound him, and he was there in prison. Now, that's an interesting thing. It's kind of off topic, but I've always wondered about that. I used to think he was mad because of what Joseph, he thought Joseph did, but the longer I live, the more I think he probably already guessed what happened himself. And uh, he probably just uh, said, my wife, and uh, now I got my best servant. I got to put him in jail. Because if it was me, and, that, and I was in that guy's position, and that happened to my wife, I'd want to execute the guy. Proverbs talks about that. You know, the, the man's wrath can't be quenched when you try to steal his wife. So I'm just telling you, don't mess with my wife. You're in trouble. And I'm not kidding. So, so I mean, uh, so you just don't do that to a man. But this guy puts him in jail, you know? Why didn't he execute him? I mean, he was within his hand to do it. I think he probably knew. Uh, my wife's a little uh, shady. And so uh, uh, I don't know. That's, now, that is me surmising. I don't really know. But nonetheless, uh, it, didn't look, it doesn't look like it went really good, does it? I mean, if you're one that kind of is like, well, man, he's the good guy in the story, and God lets him suffer for doing what's right, yeah. Sometimes saying no to sin is going to hurt temporarily for a while. And this is a long while. He's, in, he's not like in prison overnight. He's in for quite a while. And I'm going somewhere, so staying, stay with Don't fall asleep. Because long before Paul wrote 1 Corinthians six seventeen through 20, Joseph, a type of Christ, was showing us how, how to flee fornication. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17, a very familiar passage to most of us. I actually have already addressed this last time I was in this text, so, uh, but you've slept since then, and so have I. So let's go look at it once again. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 17. The Bible says here, But he that is joined unto the Lord... I'll give you a second. Keep turning. I'll give you a second to get there. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 17. Okay, it says in verse six, uh, 17, But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Now, Joseph is type, right? We are Christians, and we are joined unto the Lord. We have one spirit. What is that spirit that we have with the Lord? It's not a trick question. The Holy Spirit, right, simple. Holy Spirit, we've been talking about holiness, right? We're holy because he's holy. We have the Holy Spirit in us. The, the Spirit of God that dwells in the sanctuary of God, it's unbelievable, but it's true. We have the Holy Ghost. We have the Holy Spirit. Okay, so it goes on to say, um, right after that, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. 
What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own? For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, fornication is specifically dealing with sexual sin. And the point here is that, that, that Paul is being very blunt about and to the Corinthians, um, who are very sensual folks, is listen, uh, when you take your body down here to join with the prostitute or whatever, there's, sanction, there's sanctioned sexual activity and there's unsanctioned sexual activity. And so you're taking the Holy Ghost everywhere you go. And he's with you. And you're dragging him through that. So flee it. Get away. Flee. Flee. Flee fornication. Who fled fornication? Oh, Joseph did. Remember? He would not betray God. And so he fled from fornication. He wouldn't join himself to this, uh, this woman that wanted him so desperately. She wanted him so much she was willing to throw him under the bus when she didn't get her way. And so... Uh, and so it's not an accident that, that sermons are banned on the internet. Isn't that something? But pornography's not. Because Satan wants to give every man and every woman and every child a daily dose of temptation that will lead them into fornication. Satan wants to snare us in his net, but we must resist temptation to cheat on God with the tree of knowledge and place our priority and faith solely, solely in the word of God. So one might say, yeah, Brian, but fleeing from temptation didn't work so well for Joseph. He ended up being in prison. And so I'm glad you brought that up. Because in Genesis 39, 21, the Bible says, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. What was it that kept Joseph so on track? Now, I'm sure Joseph, by the way, had problems. We just don't know what they are. They're, for God's providence, he has, he, has not, he has expunged the humanness of Joseph because he's a type of Christ, right? So I'm sure that Joseph had bad days, bad moments. I don't know all the things that went on with Joseph, but I know what God wants me to know about Joseph, and he's a type of Christ, and he he's, appears to be sinless because of who he, he's representing, right? Just like you, by the way. That's how God sees us. And so he's, he's joined He's joined with Christ. I mean, he is with him in the prison. What makes it bearable? What makes it worth it? Is that. This young man had learned. You know what? When I was in the pit uh, and my brothers hated me, who was with me? Oh, God was with me. Instead of dying, he made me a prisoner. When I was, in, when I was sold into bondage, uh, who was with me? Oh, my brothers weren't with me, my mom wasn't with me, my dad wasn't with me, but the Lord was with me, and I got sold to Potiphar when I was among all the servants of Egypt. So how did I get exalted? Well, it wasn't because of me, it was because of the Lord. I had this dream many years ago, many years ago when I was a kid, that, that, and, and he had that vision, right? And he believed what the Bible, at that time, that's how God revealed himself was, to Joseph, was through dreams. He believed the revelation that God had given him. He believed that he would ascend. He believed what John, if he was us, what he would be believing is that someday he will give account before the Lord Jesus Christ and will be acceptable and have confidence. He believes the end of the story is true. No matter what his circumstances are, he chooses by faith to believe what God had given him. So he will not compromise. He won't. But what makes it bearable practically in the day-to-day grind when when it's just bearing down on you and every day you're in the salt mine and every day there's temptation, what is it that really holds you together is knowing that the Lord is with you. 
and me. And guys, I, I'm, I, I just am talking to you from the core of who I am. I know. I'm not every preacher. I mean, there, I've, I've worked in the real world, quote. I know pastors don't work. But I mean, I've, I've been to work. I've been in the construction business. I've been in, I've been in this world. And I know, like you know, that it is not easy day to day. And I've been in those situations where I'm like, Lord, I cannot do that to you. And I'm not trying to exalt myself because I've failed as much as you guys. But the point is simply this. What keeps you where your conscience is clean enough to walk with God and keep going is knowing that you love God more than anything else. And it's a daily commitment. Just like my wife. The other day I walked out of the house. I was in a huff to go somewhere. Not, I wasn't mad or anything, but I remember I was real busy. And she's like, you didn't. I guess I walked by the table. I kind of like faked her out, you know, kept going. I didn't go in for the hug or the kiss or whatever I was supposed to do. And uh, he's like, you left and you didn't. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. So I came back and repented and let her, you know what? I let her know I loved her before I left the house. Just a little, you know, a gesture that I normally would do. And I was in a hurry, had something on my mind. I was probably trying to get out here for some reason that day. I was trying to get out here that morning. I was trying to get here a little early for something. And uh, anyway, I have, to let, I have to let my wife know that I love her. You know, not like once a month. <laughs> oh, yeah, honey, shout out. You're doing awesome. <laughs> right? Sometimes more than once a day, right? Sometimes, it, you know, okay, so in a relationship with God, right, he loves us. He lets us know that. He's always waiting daily in the Word. He's waiting there. But, you know, there's days that go by. Some of us don't even crack that book. I'm not talking about listening to someone else talk about him. I'm talking about you personally listening for his voice. What's he saying to me today? How do I know that my father loves me? I remember in the mornings early, 5 o'clock in the morning, I'd be getting up, and I'd be getting in the shower, and all the, I'd have anxiety. You ever have anxiety about what's coming that day? And you felt like more's coming than you could possibly accomplish, that it's way over your head, and you start already getting worried. You know what I would do? I'd, I'd go into my study. I'd open up that book, and I'd say, Lord, help. I need you today. I'm not going to make it if you do not help me. And you know what God did every day? He helped me. He'd give me a word. Give me a verse. You know, sometimes I didn't remember it. By the time I got in the garage, got in the car, hit the ignition and was on my way, I'd already forgotten it. But other days, that thing would hang with me all day. And whether I remembered it or not, man, putting in a good diet of God's word is going to help your soul. It's going to enrich you. It's going to make you stronger. So even when you don't realize it and something comes your way, you're able to go, wait a minute. I got this. Where'd that strength come from? How did David, or how did uh, Joseph... How did he handle all that? It wasn't because Joseph was just this awesome dude. No, I don't believe Joseph was, Joseph was just some, some super dude. I think he just absolutely was convinced of what God said to the point that that's all he had. He had no other options. And he was hanging on to that because that's all he had to hang on to. And beloved, God not only protected him and provided for him, he was prosperous and became a, a provider for the whole nation of Israel. If you're a man and you need to provide for your family... How's the best way to provide? Work, you know, 48 hours a day so nobody ever knows you or sees you? No. Get with God. Make sure that you are with him and he is with you. And deal with the daily temptation to be an idiot, deadbeat. And be the person that God has saved you to be. 
And so all that mattered to Joseph. All that mattered to Joseph was that the Lord was with him. He learned from his youth that the, he, that the most important thing in his life was knowing that the Lord was with him. Now, in 1 John, in the New Testament, what word do we use to describe that? It's one word, and it's, it's really important to the book of 1 John. We call it fellowship. That's a New Testament way of saying with him. We're with him. We're, we're in fellowship with him. In 1 John 1, 3, the Bible says, That which, was, uh, which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye uh, may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Those disciples, John was saying, listen, I want you to have fellowship with the Lord like I've had. I've had personal time with Jesus. I want you to have personal time with Jesus. So though Joseph continued to endure hardness, he never doubted God's good hand being upon him because he practiced holiness daily. That's practically what holiness looks like, resisting temptation. Now, well, I've got to keep moving. So it can, be, it can be tempting to capitulate to sin, and we all struggle with that. But God calls us to resist temptation, not succumb to it. So Satan can be pretty demanding at times. So you have to be serious about your commitment to practical holiness. How serious? I'm glad you asked. Hebrews 12.4 gives you the answer. He, ye have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And this is what happens. In Hebrews 12.4, the Bible tells us, ye have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Now, the reality is when you fail, and that, that just makes you feel guilty, you know, you're like, man, I'm a loser. I didn't resist unto blood striving against sin. That's true. First John 1, 9 it. But also, remember this. He did strive unto blood resisting sin. He is the way that you have overcome your sin nature. You've got to get back to him. You've got to be in fellowship with him. Okay, so we've been talking about how having a, a father-son relationship, it affects our relationship to sin. We've seen that it's important uh, to understand the explanation of positional holiness through Christ. And then now we've seen there's an expectation that we need to be exercising practical holiness daily, not just once in a while. So the last thing we're going to see, and this will be quick, is to behold our relationship with sin properly, we must understand, understand John's declaration in 1 John 3, 1 through 2 should result in a visible manifestation of God's power. In verse 7, he says, Little children, let no man deceive you. There's people out there. There's men that want to deceive you. He says, don't let it happen. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. So simply, those who, you could have guessed this, talk the talk should walk the walk. Obviously, there is room for grace as no man is perfect, but the fruit of the Spirit is manifest in those who walk in the Spirit and do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Galatians 5.16 says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If we live in the Spirit, verse 25 says, uh, let us also walk in the Spirit. And so we see a clear distinction between the children of God and the children of the devil. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8, the Bible goes on to say, He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For his, this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. Positionally, you can't sin. Practically, your flesh loves sin. We covered that last time. So we have a clear explanation of why sin is not imputed to those who are born of God. Because, well, the seed remains in us, verse 9. But also, 1 John two twenty nine says, If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. 
The right that we do that comes from us is because of Christ. So Jesus taught his disciples that they would know a false prophet, not by just what he said, but by the fruit he demonstrated. And so Matthew seven twenty says, Wherefore, uh, by their fruits ye shall know them. This is the same chapter where Jesus says, Judge not that ye be not judged, in verse 1. But Jesus is the judge, but we are the fruit inspectors, right? So you are now, you're commissioned. You're fruit inspectors, and, and the fruit that we're looking for. What is that fruit? What fruit are we looking for? How do you know somebody is with Christ? How do you know they're in fellowship with Christ? How do you know that they are born of God? That's a good question. You know the answer. Galatians chapter 5 tells you the answer in verses 22 and 23. You're looking for love. You're looking for joy. You're looking for peace. I was, I was listening in on you, Steve. You didn't know it. But Steve was giving an example this morning of how he was in Russia, and he asked the guy, do you have peace? And the guy just hung his head. Am I telling that right? He's in Russia. Eventually got saved. But the guy had no peace, right? He didn't have the spirit. He wasn't walking with God. A religious guy went to church all the time, but he didn't have peace with God. Why? Because the Spirit of God wasn't in him, wasn't dwelling in him. The seed wasn't in him. It was a clear evidence that Steve was able to discern. I see religion, but I don't see a relationship. This guy has no peace. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Right? Against such there is no law. It's not, it, those, things, those aren't things we work up, we conjure up, we work on, right? Those are the byproduct of Jesus in us, the seed, and him dwelling in us richly. So God uses clean vessels for priestly work. In Genesis 18, we find Abraham dwelling in the plains of, of Mamre. And Abraham was following God's will, resting in God's promises. Um, <clears throat> godliness with contentment, by the way, is great gain. Even though he had not yet received the promised seed... He was in a situation where he was finally content with God. And you know what? He was in fellowship with God. Now, by the way, Abraham, unlike Joseph, there's all kinds of sin in his life that you can see clearly. It's all recorded for us. The father of faith, kind of like us. Um, and, and he goes on. Uh, Abraham is, is now in fellowship with God in, in Genesis 18. And so God comes one day to visit with him. God not only blessed Abraham with the promise of fruit, he could count on him for intercession for Lot. It's interesting how he's, in, he's dwelling in the plains of Mamre. Why is he there? Well, because he never went to the plains of Sodom. Right? He chose fellowship with God over fellowship with this world. His, sons, or his son, his nephews live in large down in, in uh, Sodom. He's moved in. You know the story. He's sitting on the city council. He's, uh, his whole family's there. They got a great income. Uh, everything's good. And, you know, uncle, old, you know, old Uncle Abraham, old-fashioned Abraham, just out there tending his sheep. You know, you know, Uncle Abraham, he's just a farmer at heart. You know, you'll never get him in the big city. Yeah, right. You know what Uncle Abraham was doing? Was following God. He was believing God for a promise. God had said something to him, and he believed God. He believed he would give account for that. He believed that he wanted to stand blameless before God someday, and he wanted to believe what God said, and he was trusting it. He had no other options. By now, him and Sarah are so old, they're like, I don't know how that's going to happen. Maybe it was a metaphor. But last time we acted on that logic, it gave, you know, we were in trouble. So, okay, so, uh, so, you know, it's a situation where Abraham is right with God, and God comes to him to bless him. But not only that, he can count on him for something. And I'm going somewhere with this, and I know we're getting long, but I want you to hear this. After God promised the blessing to Abraham, he could have simply departed Abraham. But after telling Abraham, he knew he would command his children in the way they should go. 
It was all about being a good father. He says, I know I can trust you, Abraham, to, to take care of your children. That's why I'm going to bless your seed. Though right now, of course, Abraham's thinking, when's that going to happen? Been there. He's, he could have just said, you know what? I got to go. See you later. But he didn't. He says, I'm going down to Sodom to inquire about the cries I've been hearing from that place. Genesis 18, 20, he says, And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which has come unto me, and if not, I will know. That means there's some broken and contrite hearts crying out in Sodom. They're not Christians, per se, but they're crying. If there's a God in heaven, help! God only knows what kind of wicked sin was going on down there. It's not noted. But God says, that got my attention. And he tells Abraham, he says, hey, I'm heading down to Sodom to see if what I heard is what's going on. And you know what Abraham deducted from that? He's bringing a can. And (laughs) he's going to open it. (laughs) That's what Abraham heard in Cass County terms. He's like, man, he's going to bring some wrath. He is going to bring some wrath. I don't mean to laugh. I'm sorry, I wasn't trying to be funny, but now you're all laughing at me. So, <laughs> uh, That's what's happening. Because Abraham knows what he's going to find in Sodom. He's like, oh my goodness. Not only was Abraham concerned about his standing before God, he was also concerned about Lot's standing before God. Why? Because he loved Lot. That was his nephew. He wasn't just concerned about himself. He loved, his, he loved Lot. So Abraham, you know the story. He immediately goes to intercessory prayer on behalf of those that he loved and he, and, and he saw as righteous. It's also interesting. He saw through his lens. I mean, you, just, you can read it in the text in Genesis 18, 22-23. I was going to read it, but I don't have time. That Abraham goes into, he goes into negotiation mode. And he starts bartering with God for 50 righteous. And it gets all the way down, you know, 50, 40. 30, you know, then he's down to 20, then he's down to 10, and God's like, okay, if there's 10, I won't destroy Sodom. What's he bargaining, what's he bargaining with God over? He's bargaining, bar, bargaining for and bartering for Lot and his family. He loves them. And of course, the Lord agrees to 10, and we know how it goes. There's not 10 righteous in, in Sodom. He ends up with three. Lot's wife bailed out on the way. You could take her out, but you couldn't take Sodom out of her heart, right? So she, she ends up turning into a pillar of salt. You could barely get them out of town. They literally had to drag them out. And they're like, well, can we just stay close? And the angels are like, what is wrong with you people? You know, God barely gives us a whiff of innuendo to Abraham and just says, hey, I heard a prayer, and I'm going to go check it out. And Abraham immediately knows how dire the situation is and is in intercessory prayer. Angels personally show up to Lot personally tell them that it's coming down, and they're still fighting with them. Sometimes people just don't get a clue. The point of the illustration, however, is to point out that when God needed a man to pray and make a difference in a family's life, you know who he didn't go to? He didn't go to Lot. You know why? Lot was not in fellowship with God. He wasn't with him. 
Beloved, the reality of this is we have fellowship one with another because we're sons of God. And God is looking for some people that can do some intercessory prayers that will pass the ceiling. The visible manifestation of God's power in our lives will not be seen if there's not a personal fellowship with God. Many of the Odyssean Christian will not be ready for the catching away of the church. They won't be ready. They'll be so focused on everyone else's transitions that they won't really be ready for their own transformation at the translation when they get changed in the very image of Christ. And they'll be, they'll be ashamed at His coming. The Odyssean Christians got to understand that they, w- they will lose loved ones and entire cities will be destroyed for lack of knowledge because we don't pray. Just pray. I was so encouraged to go to Boston, man, and, and hang up. I think I even said it like I was in Boston. Go up to Boston and be with Mike Renault. Why? Because, man, there's a guy praying for people that need to hear the Lord. So my, my admonition is we need to be like Abraham. Practical holiness. What's that all about? List of do's and don'ts? No, I'll give you two lists as your homework. There are some don'ts, and I don't need to tell you what they are. I don't even know what they are, and I don't want to know what they are if I can keep from it. But God will give you your own list of don'ts. You just ask him. Lord, what is it in my life that's keeping me from being with you? That's keeping me out of fellowship? And I'm not, and if you're born again, you're saved. I'm not saying you're going to lose your salvation. You're not. But you can lose your fellowship. You can be like Lot. You can be so crusty, so carnal, so earthly minded that you're no heavenly good. And God has to go around you to somebody else that's right with him to even get any action going on in your own life. And God's saying, stop it! Repent, make a list, get it right. 1 John 1 9. You know what 1 John 1 9 says? If we confess our sins, God is faithful to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yes, all unrighteousness is sin, but Jesus Christ will forgive us from all unrighteousness when we simply bring it to Him. Why? So we can get in the game. Like I said, Abraham wasn't pure as the wind driven snow, but he learned to trust God and, and walk with God. And Christian, that's what we've got to do. And then you know what happens? Man, you'll be effective in your prayer life. Because worshiping God is important. We got, we got prayer wall warrior right here, Bobby. I mean, she'll teach you all about it. Praying is a big deal. I, just, I don't remember who I was talking to. Maybe it was, maybe it was uh, Dorothy. But someone just the other day was telling me how important it is to pray. And the older you get, the more important it gets. Because that's kind of all you can do. But you know what? It's important that it gets done. And we shouldn't forsake it, whether you're young or old. But you know what you know what hinders my prayer life is when I'm all encumbered with personal sin. So deal with personal sin. How do you do that? Yeah, repent, but really just deal with the Lord. Change your heart, change your mind, let him do deal with that beloved. It's obvious that this world is on a crash course with the wrath of God. You can't miss it. But like Abraham, we know this. And we know God means business. Romans 13:11 says and that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. And lastly, 2 Corinthians 4.3, If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Will God honor your prayer for souls this morning?
Or is there just too much garbage that needs to be sorted through before you can address the needs of others? Don't allow sin to separate you from God's love, God's grace, and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you ready for God to call you home? Okay, yeah, I'm ready, good. Well, how about your family? How about your friends? Look at your homework. I'm not going to get into it. Look at the homework I put on the bottom of this note sheet and consider that today. And next week when we get together, we're going to talk about beholding our relationship to our other brothers. But today, we've really covered that we have a positional holiness through Christ. We, have, we've been exer- we need to exercise practical holiness through Christ. And why? Because lives should be saved because our separation under Christ. It's not about what you don't need to be doing, what I don't need to be doing. It's really about holiness and separation is all about what we should be about. Like, it's not what I shouldn't be doing, it's what I should be doing. If you're about being in God's word, being with God's people, worshiping God daily, being in fellowship and praying, entering the Holy of Holies, you know what? You won't have time for all the other stuff. God will keep you occupied and he will fill your soul to full because you're in fellowship with him. And when temptation comes, you're just like, you know what? I don't want that ice cream because I got something better. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you for the opportunity.